going to start at John 15, uh, verse 26. And if you uh, don't have your Bible, there's one under your seat. You can open up to page 589 and follow along. So we're going to start at John 15, verse 26, and read through 1615. And it says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time, when, when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many uh, many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, God, today, God. Thank you for your spirit. God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit moves in this place, Lord. As your word is preached, Father, I I pray, God, that we would hear your word and our hearts would respond because of the work of the spirit in our lives. Father, I just pray, God, that you would uh, give us boldness, Lord, to proclaim the truths that we would hear even today, God. I pray that this thing doesn't stay inside of us, but it would overflow out of us, God, in our testimonies. If we just heard these wonderful testimonies about what you did in India. God, I pray, Lord, even for myself, Lord, that you hide me behind your cross. God, there's nothing good in me, Lord, that I can give, but, but Father, your word is complete, and 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 it is amazing, Father, and it changes lives. So, Father, as as the word is preached, Father, change hearts, Father. Change hearts, God. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Man. Praise God. Um, my name is uh, I'm Pastor Mo. Uh, it's interesting. He talked a lot about Islam up here. I, my real name is Muhammad Ibn Abdul Hafiz. So I had a very good, it was really good to hear what God did in India. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And, and, and growing up in Cleveland, um, we had a lot of 
uh, kind of things like stories that, that went around. We had a lot of urban legends, you know, things that people would talk about. You know, when you grow up in the hood, man, they, they do anything to scare you about some stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so one of the things they used to talk about is this lady called the Green Lady. And, and this green lady was, was this weird figure that did some, some, some weird stuff. Like, like the people had, all people had, all, everybody had like these different stories about her. And it was a lot of confusion about her. So one of the things that people used to talk about when they talked about the green lady is that she, like, she became green because she envied uh, people uh, uh, who had kids because she couldn't have her own. And then some people believe that that's not the way she came green. She drank this, this potion or something, and that turned her skin green. Then other people said, man, she, she, she lost her child, and, and when she, see, she saw other people with children, like, man, like, yo, like, she became green with envy. So there was a lot of confusion around the, 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 the green lady. Like, one of the things that was really miraculous, this girl must have been in, involved in, in real estate because she lived on everybody's street. Like, everybody's house, they'd be like, that's the green lady's house, and then we would be, like, scared to death, you know what I'm saying? And so it was like, the green lady was this, this lady that just lived everywhere. Apparently, like, I mean, did she have a whole bunch of Airbnbs or what? I mean, I don't know what she did, but she seemed to be everywhere. But it seemed like everybody was confused about even what she did. Like, people would say that she would snatch little kids. Yeah, that, that's right. They said that. That's, I had a terrifying youth. Um, like, they said she would snatch little kids, and, and they, she would use them to bring her, ch- her child back to life. Or she would snatch little kids, and, and she would eat them or something like that. Some crazy, yeah, amen. Come on now. That's weird. That's creepy, right? That's real creepy. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think we, 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 we can feel the same way. There's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit, right? A lot of people, we don't even know what to believe about the Holy Spirit because most of us, all if we can admit it, we all grew up in all these different traditions, right? Some of us have backgrounds where, man, most of our traditions define who the Holy Spirit more than the Bible did. So what we believed is what we saw, right? We believed everything we saw. We saw the Holy Spirit make people run around the room. Well, I guess that's the Holy Spirit moving, right? We saw all kinds of other things in our traditions, right? The Holy Spirit would make people bring money to the altar, and people would, would, would pray over it and dance over it, and, and we would get a hundredfold, right? There was all these things that we saw, and some of them were weird to us, right? And so we all have this mystery of who the Holy Spirit is. And so a lot of times, the Spirit is not necessarily what the Bible defines based on our traditions. But here's the thing, church. What Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in this text gives clarity to who he is. Jesus isn't trying to hide anything from us in this text. He's telling you exactly who the, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So I think when, when we look at the words of Jesus, we've got to understand, like, it's not a, he's not focusing on the things that might separate us, right? He's not focused on the things like miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Like, whether you believe in tongues or you don't right now, that's not what Jesus is concerned with. His concern was essential, the essential work of the Holy Spirit. The things we must believe. So as a, a Christian church, we must focus on the things that are most important about the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, so, so one of the things we, I want you to walk away is, is, is this. That the Holy Spirit works to accomplish Christ's purpose in ordinary people. Let me say that again. That the Holy Spirit works to accomplish Christ's purpose in ordinary people. Um, and before we talk about the work of the Spirit, I think we need to define who we who and what he is, right? Amen? That is some mystery behind the Holy Spirit. So if you, if you, if you know me, and my wife knows me very well, um, we watch a lot of Star Wars in our house. I love Star Wars. Grew up on Star Wars. I, I love it. And if you're, if you're a nerd like me in some ways, you know that Star Wars is this aspect of the thing called the Force, right? 
Everybody knows what the force is. It's, it's this thing that, that, that an energy that ties everything together. It's an impersonal power that can be exploited for both good and evil. That's basically what the force is. It's something that, that people can use and yield for what they want. Like, that's why we got Sith Lords and we have a Jedis, right? Amen? That's what Sith Lords and Jedis. Amen? So, y'all, hey, hey, we, got, we need some nerds up in here. Uh, <laughs> so, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is not the force. He is both intimately personal and we can't control him. He's both God and he's both a person. So, let's, let, me, let, me, let me explain what I mean by when I say he's a person. Look, the Holy Spirit is not an energy. He's personal and he's intimate. Like, that's why Jesus, even in our text today, he uses the pronoun he. He describes him as a he. You don't describe a thing as a he. I know we talk about our cars like they're he's or she's, but you know, you know they're not a person. Why do we know he's a person? Because he has a personality. The force doesn't have a personality. But, God, but Holy, the Holy Spirit does. What do we know about the Holy Spirit? Well, he has emotions. He's grieved. He shows outrage. He pours his love into our hearts. Look at me. He can be lied to. He can be sinned against. That don't sound like no car. That doesn't sound like an impersonal force. That sounds like a person. He has personality. He has a will. Meaning that he can will things. He can do things. Like your, your car can't just drive. In the, in the, we ain't talking about Night Rider here. Uh, we're talking about your car can't just, just drive off by itself. He has a will. He can will things. The second point is he's God. Look, we can't control him. He's God. He has authority, friends. The Holy Spirit has authority. In the beginning of the Bible, we see what the Holy Spirit can do. He shows himself off in creation because he helped in the process of creating the world. In Matthew 28, it tells us to be baptized in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the what? Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Some of y'all would get scared. Holy Ghost, let's say it. It says we need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Holy Spirit. What if I said we need to be baptized in the name of the Father and Pastor John? That don't make no sense, right? Makes no sense. What if I say we need to be named, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and maybe even, let's say, uh, 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 the Black Panther? Some of us say, yeah, Wakanda forever. But no, that's not true. Nah, this ain't Wakanda, (laughs) y'all. Look, let me tell you the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit is made equal to God. See, anybody else you put in that place, look, they can, it's above their pay grade. Everybody is above their responsibility and their, and, their, and their gifting to even say that they can be considered one of or a part of the Trinity. Uh, one of the things I love about this as well is, is that the Holy Spirit is given attributes that are only given to God. He can, he's all-knowing. He's present everywhere. He has no beginning or no end. Listen. He's called the Holy Spirit, meaning he's perfect. Only God is perfect, amen, or oh me. Amen? Come on, y'all. I, I don't know who y'all think y'all talk. Y'all got to talk back to me. I love that. See, these two aspects of the Holy Spirit are extremely vital and important. See, if we, if we don't get these two things, then what Jesus says actually has no weight. When he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is not God, then we can just yield and will to do whatever we want with him, right? He's not a person. He doesn't intimately interact with us. But that's not who the Holy Spirit is. He is a person, and he is God. So this brings us closer to our text today. 
And with our text, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit works to accomplish Christ's purpose in ordinary people. We see it in two ways. First, we see the Spirit saves. And the second way, we'll see the Spirit sanctifies or transforms us. See, our text comes from a very uh, transparent time in the life of Jesus and his ministry. Uh, it comes at a very transparent time in, in the book of John. This is really Jesus' farewell speech, y'all. He's saying, deuces, I'm about, I'm about to go be with the Father. I'm about to be crucified. And so in this discourse, he's, he mentions five times the promise of the Holy Spirit. So apparently it's very important to him that we understand who the Holy Spirit is. At the end of the chapter 15, we see that Jesus just told his disciples, hey, man, when the Spirit comes, you're going to testify about me. You're going to share the gospel. He's given them a mission. Amen? And he says, for this reason, man, folk are going to kill you, bro. Folk are going to persecute you. They're going to think they're acting, they're going to be thinking they're, they're making, having a service to God by doing these things to you. That's crazy. And even Jesus, uh, you know, obviously he saw, he was like, man, after he, he even said he le- he's going to even leave them, he even sees that their hearts are filled with sorrow. I bet. I bet. How would you feel if the person you, you, you banked your whole life on left you? How would you feel if, if all, it seems like all hope is gone and all hope is lost? Some of us right in here probably are feeling like that right now, right? Some of us probably are feeling like, man, man, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. All hope is lost. I don't know where I'm at with the Lord. Oh, I feel like all hope is lost. But what Jesus do, does in, in this verse, he says, man, I see that you're filled with sorrow. I, I see that you're hurting. I see that you think that I'm just going to abandon you, but that's not what I'm going to do. You think you're going to uh, fulfill this mission by yourself. But what he says here is huge. He says the, the Holy Spirit will accomplish this work in and through you. It's important for us to see this, church. Is that it's not us who does the work that Jesus is calling us to do. It's actually the Holy Spirit moving through his church. This is important because if we're going to be a spirit-filled church, if we're going to talk about being a spirit-filled church, we've got to recognize who's actually doing the hard work in our lives. Because we work and we work and we work and we strive and we strive and we strive and we think we're accomplishing something. But it's really the spirit of the Lord who does that work. And what he's saying is revolutionary. He's telling these ordinary people, these, 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 these uh, tax collectors, these fishermen, that what he's going to do through them, he's going to turn the world upside down. What Jesus start, what, what started in Jesus' ministry, he's going to accomplish with his church. He's given us a purpose. He's going to change the world through these this group of people, this ordinary people that he's going to call his church. And it says this, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth, for it is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the father has is mine. This is why I told you he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Listen, Jesus told him. 
all these things that they would have to endure. He told them that they were going to be persecuted, that he was going to leave them. And here's Jesus' comfort to them. Here's how Jesus comes. He says, you know what's better than God with you is God in you. What's better than God with you is God in you. Jesus is not going to abandon ship. He's saying, I'm going to send a counselor to you. I'm going to give you some help. And he's he's God just like me. The same miracles, the same things that they saw him do. They're like, man, we're going to lose all this, Jesus. You healed people. You did all these miracles. You fed the 5,000. I ain't going to front. I love to be one of them brothers eating one of them fish sandwiches that Jesus was breaking off people. Man, we saw Jesus do some miraculous things, didn't we? And they saw him do all these amazing things. And what he's saying is those same things that you're going to be, you're going to be able to do it, but you're going to do something even greater than those things. He wasn't talking about healing people's uh, bodies. That's not necessarily what Jesus was focusing on. Because we'll see in the text later, he was focusing on bringing salvation to the world. What's, what, you know what? I, a person's body can be broke up all they want. They're hard, they're, they're, they can be doing anything can happen to a body. But what, what God is mostly concerned of is the souls of man. He wants to save man's soul. So this is Jesus' comfort to them. This is why he calls them in, 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 in verse 12. He says, I'm sending you the counselor. Counselor, what it means is to come alongside and help. Jesus is our help. I mean, the Holy Spirit is our help from God. This is important for us today because ultimately that's what the Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to accomplish his mission through his people. That's why it's important for us today, even as we think about sharing the gospel, that is God working in and through us to bring about the results. So this is simple. The first point where he makes is that the Holy Spirit saves. And it's vital for us to realize that that's what the Holy Spirit does. He saves. If we look at verse 8 through 11, Jesus is giving us the roadmap of how the Spirit accomplishes this work. He points out in verse 8 that the Spirit saves by convicting the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus is telling his disciples that salvation is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. That what the Spirit does, it draws people. The Spirit awakens man's heart to embrace the message of the gospel. That's what the Spirit does. See, what the word convict means is to cross-examine someone and show them or convince them of their error. It's like being prosecuted. Uh, one of my favorite shows is The Practice. I don't know if y'all, y'all remember The Practice. That was my show, boy. I tell you, Steve Harris, boy, that boy direct. Uh, but one of the things I loved about The Practice was about the defense attorney and the prosecutor going at it in court. I love the practice because what it showed was how the prosecution would just get up, get, uh, gain all this, this evidence to what? To get it, what? A conviction. They tried to, to pull up all this stuff uh, out of, you know, all the evidence so they can prove how guilty that person was to the, ju- to the judge and the jury, right? That's what a prosecutor does. See, the Holy Spirit is our help, but, he, but he's also our prosecutor. He reveals how sinful we really are. Listen, being prosecuted is not fun. It's like being under the heat lamp. It's uncomfortable. It makes you sweat. It's painful. Someone is examining your whole life and bringing up charges against you. It's digging up dirt on you. It's digging up dirt on you. It's, it's invasive. It's exposing the most intimate details of, your, of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt like you were exposed by God about your sin? Has there ever been a time where you felt exposed about your sin? Let me ask a question. Have you ever had a deep sensation of guilt and shame about the things that you have done? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
What if I pulled up a movie on your life and I put it on the screen right here? And, I, and we can look at every segment and inch of your life right now. I know, mm, amen. <laughs> Shoot. That's how you pulled that cat's tail. That, that's how you snowed that pack of now, ladies. That's how you did that, that trifling thing you did. You know, that's what my mom used to say. You trifling, boy, what you doing? If, 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 if I pulled up everything and everything that you did, every, every thought, every motive, every cruel or mean thing that you've ever done, how would you feel right now? It was all on the screen right now. First of all, you probably see yourself for really who you are. People would actually see you for who you really are. You cannot have a romanticized view of yourself, could you? That's what the Holy Spirit does. It exposes us. And the three areas that he exposes and convinces of, of our error, it's our sin, our righteousness, and judgment. In verse 9, Jesus, right out the gate, says the Holy Spirit addresses us in, in regards to our sin. He says about sin because they do not believe in me. Listen to me. I want them dudes, like, who have to be convinced to go to the doctor. I got to be convinced that something's actually wrong with me. Don't, don't, don't judge me because some of y'all dudes up in here are like that as well. And so I need to be convinced I need to go to the doctor. So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not that smart. I'm going to be real with you. I, I am, but I'm not. Because what I do is I go to Google. And y'all know WebMD is my homie. You know what I'm saying? Me and WebMD, we get it going. I can, I can tell you, I can diagnose anything with WebMD. So I start typing in all these symptoms. Man, I type in, man, I got a cough. I got a runny nose. I got cold, I'm having cold sweats. Then I'm, I'm pretty much convinced I got tuberculosis. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying, then I go to the doctor. So here, here's the thing. I need to be, I need to be convinced, y'all. I need to be, be convinced that something's really wrong with me before I run to somebody for help. Amen? That's what I have to do. I have to be convinced. I, I love this because the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is it shows us the reality of our condition. The Sermon on the Mount was written to a group of people who considered themselves good. Don't, don't y'all, haven't y'all had this conversation with yourself or with other people when they, and you ask them, man, well, you, know, well, you know, they're talking about their life. It's, man, I'm a good person. I do good things. I man, I try to do good. If you ask the question, man, why, why should God let you into heaven? The first thing they say, man, well, I try to be a good person. I try to live my life, right? Haven't y'all had those conversations? Hold on, let me ask a question. Does anybody have to prove to you that you're good? Huh? Are you, aren't you convinced of your own goodness? let's be honest I'm convinced of my own goodness I'm never the villain in my story are you the villain in your story you know somebody talking behind me see I told them I tried to be the good person but you know that's how we are right we always are the good person in our stories we're never the villain I love the power of the sermon because Jesus raises the bar on what it means to be good he tells if you look at it lustfully at a, at a, at a person, you're actually you're cheating on your spouse. He tells us if, if you, if you uh, use harsh words to a person, you're treating them and you're dehumanizing them and you're treating them like they're a slave. He says when you hate a person, you've actually committed homicide. People, Jesus, address, what he's trying to address is the fact that we create our own standard and try to live ourselves to look like we're good. Right? That's our biggest issue is self-trust. That's at the heart of verse 9. We try to fix ourselves. We think we can fix ourselves apart from Jesus. Look, with the, the law was supposed to expose how filthy and how wretched we are. It was never to, to expose how good we are. It was never a standard that we were supposed to say, hey, I can do that. That was a rich young ruler's issue. 
He thought he was perfect. He thought he kept the law perfect. But when Jesus exposed the rich young ruler, he was undone. He went away weeping because he he didn't understand the gospel or who he was standing before. That's the problem. We're self-righteous. A true Christian doesn't just repent of their their, their, their sin, but we, we repent of our own righteousness. That's the truth of who we are. We're not as good as we think we are. Actually, man, if you look at the Bible, it tells us that we're hopeless. That we're hopeless. We were, if you look at Ephesians 2, 1, it says, we, and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Look, y'all, we're like an episode of The Walking Dead. Everybody's dead in this episode, though. Everybody's a zombie. We're mastered by, by sin and death. Listen. If we don't realize how sinful we are, the truth of the cross becomes nothing but a concept. It's just a concept. It's like anything else. It's just a concept. But when we do realize how sinful we are, we run to the cross. And it becomes our great hope and reality. Let me ask a question. Let me ask a question. Would you accept help if you didn't think you needed it? If, let's be real. Somebody came up to me and was like, hey, hey, old man. I'm not that old. I'm 38. Hey, old man, can I help you across the street? I'd be like, hold on, homeboy. Like, hey, chill out, little dude. But if, if a person ran up to me and tried to tie my shoe, I'd probably be like, what are you doing? I can tie my own shoe. I'd be a little bit offended. If somebody, you know, it's, it's funny. When my kid tries to prove, I tell him, hey, two plus two is four, and he gets offended. Like, Daddy, I got this. I don't need your help. But that's us, right? If we don't see our deep, if we don't see our, our true condition, we won't run to a Savior for help. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's saying, look, man, the Holy Spirit exposes you, exposes you who you truly are, and then you go and run to a Savior for help. You've got to understand who you really are. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us. He, he shows us. He convinces us of our deep, desperate sin. Let me ask a question. Does the cross of Christ bring excitement, excitement over you? Do you ever find yourself getting excited about Jesus for no apparent reason? Just because he's so good in what he's done on the cross for your sins? Right, let me ask this another question. Are you desperate enough to run to the Savior for help? Listen, Jesus has fulfilled, fulfilled every requirement that we could not fulfill. He died a death we deserve and could not die. This should excite our hearts, amen? Look, this is what it's saying. A dead person can run to Jesus and find life. This should excite the church. This is the truth about who Jesus and what he's come to do. Dead things become alive again. Dry bones live again. And this is the reason why, but I'll tell you, boy, sometimes I wish I was Pentecostal. I'll I'll catch some folks running around this church. Just based on that. I'm serious. My question to you is, let me, let me ask a question. Have you stopped trusting in, G, uh, in yourself and trying to fix yourself and start trusting in Jesus? Is that what you've done? Look, we're, we're constantly trying to make ourselves look good in the eyes of others. That's what we do, right? That's what we do. We try to make ourselves look good. And that brings me to my to the second point. In verse 10, it says about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. 
See, the idea of righteousness is making ourselves uh, accepted in someone else's eyes or presentable in one, uh, somebody else's eyes. But that's what, that's what we do. We try to make ourselves look good, don't we? Don't nobody try to make themselves look bad. That don't even make no sense. I ain't never went to a job interview and said, hey, look at me. I'm just a horrible employee. I'm always late. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I steal because I like to steal pencils. I don't know why I got a pen collection for every uh, the last nine jobs I got. No one goes to, to a job and, and, and talks about how the bad of an employee they are. No one does that. Look, I, I, I love my boys. Uh, Sandy, uh, forgive me if I go too far. She didn't see this. Uh, but one of the things I have to, I have, we have to ask our boys to do is go take a bath. I don't know some of our boys in baths. I don't know. It's like that age. They just think smelling bad is a good thing. And they always meet us with, with this question, why? That one word question they get on every parent's knee, n- nerves. Now, every good parent knows the, the, the response to that answer, right? Because I said so. That's the best answer you can give a kid. It was a quick, fast fix. You know what I'm saying? That's what we got to do. Well, see, I'm, I got that six-shooter response time. Boy, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm quick on the draw when it comes to response. My wife knows it. So, I, so when my kids start to say, why, daddy? And especially when it comes to taking the baths, I say, boy, look, and I, and I'm like, Jesus, I get real spiritual on them. I try to answer a question with a question. And so I, and so I sit back and say, why? Oh, you don't want to be the stinky kid in class, do you? And he's like, oh, daddy, what you talking about? And so, so you hear that. <laughs> like, that's a, good, that's a good response. That's good parenting. Don't judge me. That's good parenting. True. I'm telling you, like, you don't want to be the stinky kid in class. See, what I'm feeding into is his desire to be accepted by his peers, right? That's what I'm feeding into. This is how we live. We're always trying to get the new car, the right job. Look, we feel the pressure to get married, don't we? We try to wear the right clothes, even try to lose weight. We're always trying to make ourselves more presentable or acceptable in someone's sight. For you, who is it? Is it your parents, your friends, your spouse? Your co-workers, even the members of your own church, is it me who you're trying to earn approval and acceptance from? The Holy Spirit comes to show us that we are, we are trying to prove our worth and value to God, and we don't have any value. It says our righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord. We have no, we can't sit here and say we have this value that God, that, that, that at the end of our lives, we, we, we have this righteousness that we've developed apart from Jesus. No, we can't say that. We can't say that. So what is it for you right now? Is it that you feed the homeless? Is it that you work in full-time ministry? Is that, is that proving your righteousness? Serving diligently at our churches, giving money to missions, loving our kids and spouses well, we sacrificing for others, serving without complaining? Are you comforting those who are hurting, expecting God to to give you a pat on your back because you're you're earning your salvation that way? Man, these are all noble things. I ain't going to front. I love to see that happening in the life of Cornerstone. I see these things happening in the life of Cornerstone. And it excites me when I see people loving on each other in this way. But the problem is this does not make us more presentable or acceptable to God. Listen to me. Let me ask you this question. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Uh-oh, so some of us might have the rich, young ruler thing. Yeah, I love God. Don't you love God? What's wrong with you? You know what I'm saying? Don't we know that? <laughs> Don't we do that? We love God, but do you do it perfectly? Do you do it perfectly? Because that's what God requires, perfection. 
the heart behind this passage is that, uh, that, that because of our sin, we're separated from God. We're unacceptable in his sight. So the question is, what makes us acceptable to God? I love Romans 1, 16 and 17. I love this. We all know this passage. We all want 1, 6 and it up in here. Um, but look, it says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And here's the beauty of it. For in it, in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will will live by faith. This is such an amazing passage because what it's revealing is that there is a righteousness that, that God gives and it's by trusting in Jesus. Listen. Christ came to the earth in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He developed a righteousness that would soon be given to those who trust in him. This is why it's important that the verse says, I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection paid for our sins. He took our punishment and we get his righteousness. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's good news. That's why it says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the what? Righteousness of God. God makes us good. We don't make ourselves good. He makes us good. This is such good news, realizing that we don't develop a righteousness at the end of our lives. But we get a righteousness from God. The Spirit is showing our error and, and trying to make ourselves presentable to God. Again, I said I was a Muslim. I grew up a Muslim. So I used to pray five times a day. I used to go, uh, I used to, go to Juma. You know what I'm saying? I used to do all those things. I, uh, during Ramadan, I used to get it in fast. I'm skinny right now, but boy, y'all should have saw me. Uh-huh. And so I remember doing all those things, thinking at the end of my life, I would, I would be made presentable to God because of my own righteousness. That's what I believed. That's, that's, the, that's futility. Because it says, again, that our, our, our lives, our righteousness is filthy rags to the Lord. And so there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But it's something that we don't have to develop and, and, and get at the end of our lives. It's something that we get right now the moment we believe. Listen, is there, is, is there been a time in your life where you realize you have nothing to offer the Lord? Have you realized the only reason that you're accepted by God is, is through what Jesus has done? Lastly, Jesus talks about convincing them about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit has shown us that Jesus is our hope. He gives us a righteousness, makes us presentable to God. Now he's going to show us that we're safe in the arms of a Savior. The word judgment has to deal with being ruled by somebody. This is the beauty of the gospel. Is that what Jesus said, I've already paid for your sins. I, I, I've done it. I've taken the penalty for your sins. I've made you righteousness, uh, righteous, and now I've defeated Satan. So that might not be a big deal to you, but see, what the Bible says is that we are ruled by the prince of power of this air. That's who we were ruled by. If you're a Christian, that's, that was your master. Sin was your master. The devil was your master. If you're not a Christian, that's who your master is. That's hard truth, but it's the reality. But see, the good news of, of what Jesus did, he said he's made us free. Listen to Colossians 2, 14 through 15. I'm glad I got one amen section in there. I'm glad. Praise the Lord, sister. Listen, Colossians 2, 14 through 15 says, He erased the certificate of death with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has, has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. 
But Jesus has made us safe. The ruler of this world has been disarmed and disgraced, and we are no longer bound by him. Look, we are free, Christians. We are free not to just live for ourselves or for our selfish ambitions, but free to live for Jesus, our new ruler, our new king. When he talks about the kingdom of God, the new king of the kingdom of God is Jesus. We have a new king. A king that loves us, a king that won't exploit us, who doesn't try to destroy us, but gives us life abundantly. That is the king that we serve. We are no longer under the rule of Satan. So sometimes, you know, when we say this phrase, not today, Satan, we can say that as Christians. We can say not today, Satan. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. We're safe in the arms of a savior. Listen, what lies are you believing about the work of Christ? Or what, what, let me ask this question. Let me, let me just ask this question. What evidence do you see in your life right now that you've been freed from sin? Do you see any evidence? Can you see evidence that you are free or you being mastered over and over again by sin? A Christian says, no. Sin is no longer my, my master. I've been transferred from the, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I serve only one master now. And that's the hard truth, but it's a good truth. Look, look, I can only imagine. I mean, it's Black History Month. Let me be honest, man. The first thing I thought about is, man, my, my ancestors. Uh, I mean, I can think about my great-great-grandmother and grandfather when, when they were emancipated from slavery. I can only think about how they felt when they got that news, when they f- found out that they were free, that their slave master had no power or control over them anymore. I can only think about how they felt and, and all the emotions that went through them. I can only imagine that they rejoiced and shouted for joy and they lived free to live. Uh, and, and, to live. I, hope, I pray that they shouted to, to the heavens to a great God. Let me ask a question. When's the last time you rejoiced in the freedom that God has given you in Christ? Have you, do you, sometimes we can be a little quiet, church. I'm not egging you on to shout and scream for Jesus. I'm not egging you on, but what I'm saying is a Christian should be the loudest person in the room at times. We talk about our hope. That's why we're bold. That's what Jesus is talking about. All these things that the Holy Spirit has accomplished as he's saving us, all these things he's done for us, we should be bold in our witness. The good news is good news because we were once dead, now we're made alive by him who went to the cross for our sins. That's the good news. Man, that's the beautiful news of who Jesus is. Look, the, the Holy Spirit has, has been given to the church to bring salvation to the world. And this is what Jesus promised his disciples, that the power of the Spirit would move through the church, accomplishing Christ's purpose. He saves. The point, too, is, is that he sanctifies. And starting in verse 12, it says, I still have many things to tell you, but uh, you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he guides you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own. He will speak whatever he hears. He will declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Man, salvation is a gift from the God. And it's, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. At the, point we, at the point we repent and believe in Jesus and repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And this is what the Spirit says to us. I'm not done with you. We can think that, oh, man, we've been saved and, and that's it. But he's saying, I'm not done with you. I want to sanctify you. And the process of sanctification is this. 
It's becoming like Jesus. It's a process of our lives being transformed. Look, we're not saved by being good, but we're saved to become good. Let me say that again. We're not saved by being good, but we're saved to become good. It's interesting how Jesus starts this part of the conversation about the Holy Spirit. Jesus saying, I have a lot to tell you guys, but y'all can't bear it. See, the, 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 the Holy Spirit was a promise that was yet to be fulfilled. And so we say, man, the things that, that I'm going to do in people's lives, the things that I'm going to wreck shop in, in this world, you can't understand them. You can't fathom the power of the gospel. That's what he's saying to them. But see, we, we've gotten the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been realized in, in, in us. And now we can realize the power of transformation that the gospel has for us. Have you ever gotten somebody to tell you something, like uh, give you some um, news, and you don't really get the gravity of the news, right? Somebody, everybody got some news, and you don't really get it. I remember when my wife told me we were pregnant with our first son. And, you know, let me tell you how, how let me, I'm a, this is for all the parents uh, or the 2B parents in the room. Some of the worst advice they get you, they give you is, man, it's going to be hard. It's going to change your life. That ain't advice. That's just, that's just statements. <laughs> and so one of the things I learned early on is like, man, I was excited when she told me. I cried. I wept. I had all this joy. I mean, I wasn't ready. Kevin Hart said it best. He's not ready. I mean, let's be real. I was not ready for what was about to happen. When she told me that news, I thought, man, I got this. Man, I'm going to be a good dad. Man. Boy, I'll tell you the truth, boy. <laughs> it shook the foundations of our lives. Having a child, I said, when they said it's going to change, it changed everything. My time didn't become my time. It became my child's time and my wife's time. My wife had it worse than me. I ain't going to front. Praise God for you, baby. Hey, man. <laughs> but, man, I'm telling you, that's the, the, the work of the Spirit is doing that. It's, it's changing your life. The good news of Jesus Christ should change everything about us. God is all about transformation. God has called us to be holy as he is holy. Hasn't he? He's called us to be holy as he. That's why the Holy Spirit is called holy. Isn't all parts of the Trinity holy? Isn't God the Father holy? Isn't Jesus holy? But why do we call him the Holy Spirit? Because that's what he does. He makes us holy. He makes us look like Jesus. He makes us perfect as he is perfect. Man. If you can't see, tan, tan, look at me, let me ask a question. Are you the same person you were, or you were three years ago? Man, are you doing the same thing, saying the same things, using the same language? How have you changed? How have you seen evidence of change in your life? Let me, let me, let me, let me give some encouragement to people. If you've seen some change in your life, amen. If people around you, that's what the, the church is good for. It shows you that God is doing something in your life, that there's a move of the Spirit in your life, and they're witnessing it and saying, brother or sister, man, I've seen growth in your life. If you ain't got friends who do that for you, you need some new friends. We need new friends who are going to tell us when they see evidence of the Holy Spirit. I love what Pastor John said a few weeks ago. It's about the direction, not about just the decision. The Holy Spirit in verse 13 is a guy that gives us direction. He leads, he mentors us. Jesus identifies the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Jesus is saying there's a truth that will change us. And this truth is an intimate knowledge of God. 
Man, hearts have to become intimately involved if they're going to change. I love what Matthew 15, 8 says. It's an indictment on God's people against where their heart is it, uh, where their heart is towards him. It says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is why we can see people studying the Bible all day long, quoting scripture. We all know those folks. It could be one of us in here. But we see those folks, and we, we could be those folks at times, and we quote scripture, we know scripture, but we don't see any change in our lives. Because our hearts are not intimately involved in the, in the person that is giving us those truths and revealing those truths to us. The Holy Spirit's work is to intimately connect our hearts to the truths of scriptures that will lead to a life change. Listen, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit starts to reveal intimate truths about God to us. Amen? That's what verse 14 and 15 they're talking about. Listen, the only way a person can know you intimately is if, they, if you reveal things to them, right? How can a person really know you intimately if you don't reveal anything to you? The beauty of God is this. In 2 Corinthians 2, he, I'm going to just paraphrase this, but God is revealing the depths of himself through the Holy Spirit to us, and he gives it to Christians freely. God desires us to know him intimately, and, he, and he's, he's ready and he's willing to disclose the deep things about himself, and he does that through his word in the Bible. God, the Bible is God's revelation about himself to humanity. That's what the Bible does. Yet God is very specific in what he wants to know about us. There's a truth that changes our lives, a truth that continues to change our life. See, the truth of the gospel doesn't just save us, but it continues to sanctify us. Our hearts need to be connected to the truth of who Jesus is. That's why it says he talks about he will guide us into the truth. What is this truth? It's the truth about his son, Jesus. God is putting boundaries around the truth that he wants our hearts to really connect with. And that truth is him, us knowing him intimately through his son. The gospel is the truth that reconciles us to God. It reconciles us to one another. Man, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus wants us to glorify him. That's what the text says. It says the, the spirit will come and he will glorify me. What does that mean, to glorify? It means to give something the most or the utmost importance in our lives. So here's the thing. The Bible tells us to not become conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our, of our minds. In order for our hearts to change, we have to change what we put in our minds. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling us. Let me ask a question. What's the focal point in your life right now? Uh, let me give you an example. If you're studying to be a doctor right now, the first thing you do is what? You go to school and you study biology. All these things you do and you're putting yourself and it's becoming the focal point of your life because you want to be that thing, right? That's what you do. You go to school. You learn about biology. You learn about all these different bones and all the other things that happen in your body. And then one day you ultimately become a what? A doctor. You want to be a great Christian? Then read God's word. Make Jesus the focal point of your life. Let me ask a question. Does Jesus have ultimate importance in your life? Let me ask a question. This past week, how has Jesus become more important to you? Does he have ultimate importance in your life? Let's ask about this past year. How much has your affections grown for Jesus? Look, this work cannot be done alone. It's, it's through the church. We're not just supposed to be proclaim the truths of the gospel to, to, to the dying world, but we're supposed to pro, uh, 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 profess these, these truths to one another. That's the work of the church, right? That we speak God's word to one another. Listen, if, I'm going to say this again. Let me say it in a different way, though. If you, don't, if you go to somebody for some advice or some counsel, and, and you call them a friend, and they don't ever open up a Bible, ever open up a Bible, or it leads you to love Jesus more, 
then I don't know if they're really your true friends like you're saying they are. I'm not saying get rid of them. Maybe you need to talk with them. Maybe you need to open up the Bible. Man, evangelism happens in so many dope ways. Sharing the gospel with people, encouraging people to walk with Jesus happens in so many amazing ways. Look, man, Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on the author and perfect of our faith. The context of that scripture is they were struggling Hebrew Christians. And so they needed one another to say this, to say what? See to it that none of you have sinful, unbelieving hearts turning away from the living God. We need each other to walk this faith out. That's what the point of being a member of a church is. That you need help. A a, a member of a church is saying, I need help to walk with Jesus. That's why you dedicate your life to one another. We need each other to walk with Jesus. Look, man, God is about producing evidence in our hearts that he is the primary focal point in our lives. That's what I love John 15 because it says, abide in me and I will abide in you. If you abide in me, he will do what? If you abide in him, he will produce what? Much fruit in our lives. God wants us to produce fruit. And if we cannot do that without participating, our hearts participating in intimacy with Jesus or, or the Bible. Look, the, the, we, the goal of our lives is to hate sin more and to fall deeper in love with God through, through Jesus. That's the goal of our lives. What's the goal of your life right now? Man, I, I know y'all want good jobs. I know y'all want things to do. I mean, the goal of our life is to walk with Jesus. To love him, to adore him. That's what we, we need in our lives. Listen to me. What does this mean? Now, just two applications for you guys. One is make it a priority to spend, God, spend time with Jesus daily. I'm being honest with you. What you feed yourself, you behold what you become. The more you make something your focal point of your life, that's what you're going to become. Look at, man, boy, man, I'm sorry. Look at Psalm 1. Just read that today, and it shows you that you are going to become what you behold or what you're around and what you feed yourself. So when you study God's word, ask questions like this. What does the Bible reveal about my heart towards or my attitude towards God? What, in what ways is God trying to remind me of his goodness? The second application is this. We don't do this alone. We don't do this alone. We should continue to talk and share about where we're at with the Lord. I know that takes transparency. And some of you have been hurt by sharing things about your life and where you're at with the Lord or where you're at with sin. But guess what? It says this in James. What does it say in James? Confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, and that we might be what? Healed. Man, the Bible wants us to disclose these deep things about ourselves because intimacy will come with one another, not just God. Man, I love, man, one of my best friends in the church is Pastor Richard because he is so dang transparent in front of me about who he is. It's not that he's hiding some deep, dark secret or sin. I just want y'all to say that because I don't want y'all thinking that. But when he shares and bears his heart to me, man, this is the brother I would die for. And I can say that because I intimately know this brother. I love John. I've seen John at his weak points. And I'd love to see his transparency when he says, man, I'm doubting the goodness of Jesus. And when I doubt the goodness of Jesus, even this week, John took me to the Bible. And he comforted my heart with Luke 6. Are you comforting people's hearts with the Bible? 
He led me back to Jesus to worship him and be thankful to him. That's what we have to do, church. Look, the, Jesus finishes this, this statement, his, his, his conversation in Acts about the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Spirit does. He says this in Acts 1 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God has poured his spirit out on us so that we will be witnesses to the world. Let me ask you something, church. This is for Cornerstone Church. Do we look like a spirit-filled church? Are people coming to know Jesus? That's not to guilt us, but that's to charge us, to ask. I love what Amber shared. We have to pray and know it becomes by prayer. And John saying that I'm, I'm praying for, to, for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Church, we have to pray for these opportunities. That's what Jesus wants from us. He saves and he sanctifies. The Holy Spirit works to accomplish Christ's purpose in ordinary per- people. Jesus said, I came, to save and I came to save this dying world. That was his purpose, and that's our purpose. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you. God, thank you for the purpose for our lives that you've given us. You've poured out your Holy Spirit. Even in Ezekiel, you promised your Holy Spirit to us, God, that you will pour, out, pour it out on us. And that we would, and that dead things would, would come back alive, God. Lord, I know there's somebody in here who, who's hurting and, 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 and maybe even questioning their salvation, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this would have comforted them to know that, Jesus, you've done a work in them. I pray for those who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that they would see that they're resisting the power of your spirit right now. And, God, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would save them that the truth of your gospel would pierce their hearts. Lord, Lord, I pray, God, that we would be witnesses. We would take every opportunity to glorify you, Jesus, to make you known in all this earth. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of being your children, that you died on the cross for our sins. And now we can have a family, a beautiful family, with different testimonies about your goodness. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would surrender to your Holy Spirit, that we would become the the church that you have called us to be, that we would love one another, that we would bear much fruit, God, that we would bear much fruit in our relationships with one another and in our relationships with the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.